Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of Colts, Killers, and Cocktails with Jen and Vanessa. Please be advised the following episode is for mature audiences only. We talk about content that may be triggering to some individuals and contain discussions regarding rape, murder, sex, suicide, religious organizations, and disturbing situations. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Colts, Killers, and Cocktails. I'm your host, Vanessa. And I am Jen. Would you like to know why we are laughing? Jen, you can go ahead and tell them. I accidentally forgot to hit record again. I feel like we've been here before. But we caught it now, as opposed to a week (laughs) later when I'm editing. So, yeah, Vanessa's about to hear round two of this story. Which I'm actually pretty glad about it because it's a really interesting thing and... I had no idea about this cold because apparently I sleep under a rock. So we're going to go into part two of the Nexium story that we were talking about last week. My feet are propped up. I'm ready to go. Round two. (laughs) And I keep now checking to make sure that this is recording (laughs) and it is. We talked about last week the Jeunesse SOP, these five day classes that people are going to for Nexium. One of the other organizations that they had was this group called DOS. Before we talk about DOS, I want to talk about one of their victims of DOS, and her name is India Oxenberg, and she is Catherine Oxenberg's daughter. Do you know who Catherine Oxenberg is? Uh, Her name sounds familiar, but... So she's a super popular actress. Um, She's gorgeous, but she was known for one of her roles on Dynasty, which I never watched that show, but apparently it was like super popular back in the day. I've heard of that show. And it made her a ton of money. Shocking. Her grandmother is actually the princess of Yugoslavia. So the first time you said this, I thought you said Genovia, and I was like, Jen, that's a Disney movie. (laughs) It's not real. There's no (laughs) Genovia. But it's kind of crazy now because now there's no Yugoslavia. It's not a country anymore. Really? Mm hmm. So she's still the princess, but. Not of Yugoslavia. Yeah. Got so it. she has royal blood. India actually signed up for Nexium because of her mother. Her mother had some friends in her celebrity circle. And like we said earlier, a lot of celebrities got into this movement. She decided to sign them up for the five day course, thought it'd be great mother daughter bonding time. They went together. And they had a great time, but India was super into it, and Catherine was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, it's fine, but nothing I really want to get, like, really head into heels over. Right. India had tried college at that point, wasn't really getting into it, and found this as something that she can change the world, be really into it, and just have a great community. So she kept taking classes. She wanted to become a coach. Um, she spent her entire inheritance on these classes. And that's a lot of inheritance, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, in these classes, we know aren't cheap as well, but still. $3,000, that's what you said? I mean, for some of them. Some of the intensives would get up to like ten grand. Maybe that's more expensive than Buffler. Yeah, just to go to V-Week, that's two grand. That's a whole week for like a summer camp experience. Oh, my God. I don't even spend that much on vacation. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like doing group on flights. Let's go. <laughs> India heard about this from her friend, Allison Mack. And Allison Mack was an actress off of Smallville back in the day, that show. I never watched that show, but I remember it being super popular. When was it popular? Like late when 90s? We were in high school, I want to say. Or not I didn't 90s. get into it. I never did. No, it was definitely in the 2000s. Okay. Allison Mack and her were very, very close. 
Allison came up to her and she was like, I want to tell you about this group. It's going to help you as a person. We know that you've been having trouble like getting to that next level. And this is going to help push you to that next level. They told her that in order to even just know about the group, she had to give some collateral. And again, this wasn't anything that was weird for Nexium. They did it all the time. For example, if I wanted to lose like 20 pounds or, for example, I always promise to you that I'm going to run the mini marathon with you. So if I'm like, Vanessa, I promise I will train for the mini marathon and I promise that I'm going to run the entire time. Okay. And if I don't, I'm going to put $1,000 right here and like you'll get the $1,000. I can't wait to get that $1,000. <laughs> Where do you want to go? Hypothetical. <laughs> hypothetical. <laughs> So people did this all the time, and it wouldn't always be money. Sometimes it would be like, I'm not going to sleep in my bed for a week. I'm going to take cold showers for a week. Or, you know, it would be like, I am going to give you the secret, and you can tell people if I don't pay up for it. That makes sense. So India gives collateral, uh, but she had to give collateral. She couldn't just do, like, regular collateral. They told her that it had to be something devastating, and that she'd be afraid people were going to find out about. So she decided to write down all of her family secrets, put them in a letter, so then that way if it was leaked to the press, it would be devastating. How many family secrets do you have? I mean, who knows? But the press would want to know anything about that family. I guess you're right, yeah. So India gives us collateral, and then she finds out about DOS. She was told that this is a secret society of women. It's women encouraging women. They have a master-slave relationship. So that sounds really weird to say master-slave, and they would always like be like, but it's not like really master-slave. I'm just going to be your master, and you'll have to do like one hour of work for me a week. If I ask you to do something, you need to do it, but you'll have 24-7 coaching. Like You'll always be able to reach me. I will help you through your life decisions. If there's something that's holding you back, like I'm going to be able to push you through that so you can actually meet the next level. That still sounds pretty slavey. It still sounds slavey, but if it's someone like her where she's like, I've been trying to reach this next level, nothing's working. I finally have this opportunity to work with this coach, mm -hmm. break through some of the issues I'm having, and move forward as like a more involved person. And I mean, everything in Nexium honestly is not women empowering. I know they think it is, but this group is kind of like, oh, we're really dedicated to women right so i get it and they were told keith doesn't have any involvement in this it's literally women for women so okay. it's easier to sign off on it would be a lifetime commitment and she would have to vow to have ultimate obedience to allison people would have to wear some type of chain if they were a slave this could be just like a bracelet like around your wrist or a necklace or some people have like those belly chains that are super skinny and cute <laughs> i've never been able to have any of those but that's okay that's what i was gonna say not us no <laughs> <laughs> i'll go with the anklet thank you very much <laughs> you would have to wear something like that just to remember i'm in this master slave relationship and again she felt close to allison allison was always going to be there for her one thing that was always in the back of her head would be like what would my life be like even if my body didn't feel comfortable that's something allison would talk to her about um so stepping out of your comfort zones really going for it mm -hmm. at the time she was in a relationship with someone in nexium they were living together in an apartment and allison told her that he wasn't good for her growth anymore so she needed to break up with him and move in with her why would allison think that like Apparently, he was holding her back. You know how, like, some peep guys, sometimes people date guys, and you're like, oh, 
I know my friend shouldn't date him. Mm-hmm. She's going to totally like not oh, go I to know. school, blah, 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 like something like that. Mm-hmm. So she was like, okay, maybe he really is holding me back. And like she can see that she's on the outside. Mm-hmm. She's a trusted coach. So she does it. And she moves in with Allison. Allison lives in the area where Keith and all everyone else in the inner circle pretty much live in this like little community out in New York. So she moves in with Allison and things start getting more and more intense. She was told that she would have to have a weight requirement. So she was only allowed 500 calories a day. So she was basically allowed to eat a head of lettuce and some hummus. Yeah, and it wasn't a thing where, like, she would have to track the calories. I mean, obviously, she was tracking them. But every time she wanted to eat something, she would have to text her master. And you'd always have to address your master as master every single time. And be like, master, may I have cottage cheese? Master, may I have cottage cheese with pineapple? And the master would either be like, yes, you can have the cottage cheese or like cottage cheese, but no pineapple. Like that's how controlling this relationship was. That would suck because cottage cheese sucks without pineapple. Oh, I know. And I'd be like, (laughs) master, can I have two ice cream cones? Yes, I know. I've already had one, but it was a really hard day at the office, master. (laughs) Please, master. (laughs) (laughs) It was just crazy. And like at that point, you're working long hours. You know, we've talked about the 12 to 14 hour days that these coaches are working. Mm -hmm. When you're not eating your brain is kind of churned off. I feel like you're not yourself, you know, you're not thinking right. Yeah. And you're not yourself at all. And she was then given assignments and this was common for slaves. You would give assignments to like help better yourself or anything like that. But this assignment was different in this assignment. She was assigned to seduce Keith to help overcome her fear and being uncomfortable. But Keith's a celibate. Right. So in India's mind, she's like, You know, even if I do this task, he doesn't have sex. So it's not really, it's going to be weird, but it's not going to be, nothing's going to happen to me, you know, because he's a celibate. It's Keith. He's the smartest guy in the world. Uh Uh-huh. So her assignment was to go into this house that was in their community, go into a room, take off all of her clothes, and then Keith would come in and take a picture of her, like, laying back on the bed with her legs spread wide open in a compromising position. And Keith did this. He took her photo. She put her clothes back on. They both left. That was that. That's that. And she was like, okay. That assignment was weird. I felt kind of weird. But again, nothing happened. Really did not expect it to end that way. Right. Again, at this time, that was the first assignment. They would get tasks like this all the time. If you messed up on a task... They would give you punishment or they would have you do another task. For example, one of the people failed a readiness drill, so they were all paddled with, like, those big sorority paddles. That would freaking hurt. That would hurt really, really bad. And they would, if you were, like, say, like, we were both in the same, like, master-slave relationship. We both had the same master. I would go to your house and I would take a video of me paddling you naked. And then you would come to my house and it would be the same thing. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, because you had to have video proof to send to your master. Yeah. and God. It's just crazy. Um, so India kept getting these assignments. She was starting to get one-on-one time with Keith in order to help grow in Nexium. They would take, like, lawn walks, and this was common for Keith. He would always give people advice over these lawn walks. He said to have walked, like, 10 to 12 miles a day. Well, good for him. Yeah, this guy just loved walking. Um, she was having issues with stuff. Like, for example, 
not being able to eat that much and yeah. like her assignments. And it, she was told if you're having issues, you need to keep getting EMs. Just pretty much like you need to break the emotional ties with this. Whatever is like, drawing you away, making you feel weird about it. Then she was given another assignment. She was told to lay down in a room completely naked and just wait. And then Keith came into the room and started performing oral sex on her. And this wasn't the last time um, she was continued to be abused by Keith. This sounds pretty uncelibate like Keith. Yeah. And again, it's an assignment. She talked in the documentary about her never being attracted to Keith. It's not something she would ever do. Don't blame you. It was just because that was the assignment. See, that's how I thought the story was going to end with the whole photography thing. Earlier, I thought she was going to be raped. Yeah. but So she was raped. So not good. Yep. Yeah. Um, later at trial, a witness testified that India had spent a year on a 500-calorie diet. Because, again, year. Keith likes his women super thin. But she was already thin. But he likes them super thin. Literally bone skinny. I, I feel like you would, like, literally get sick from that. You would. You, your body literally starts shutting down. Yeah. Um, when she was a member of DOS, you'd have to give monthly collateral. Okay. So every month you're either signing over deeds to your house, taking all these pictures of you. So that way every month there's a reason for you to stay in it because they're getting more and more blackmail on you that they're going to threaten to release if you leave. And all you're just getting is more and more help. Yeah. Then Allison asked India to go to a ceremony. And it was a ceremony that was a tattoo. And she was told it was going to be this tattoo. And we'll talk about this later with our next person. But it was going to be a small tattoo. And it was going to represent the four elements. And it would be something that, you know, it's a lifetime commitment. It would show her lifetime commitment. So she was branded with this mark as well. As were all the women in DOS. What, what do you mean branded? So... You know, like in the movies where they have, you know, like the branding, like the hot iron. It's kind of like that, except it's a pen. So it's a cauterizing pen that slowly burns your flesh. They got that instead of that tattoo. Mm-hmm. Why would you get that instead of the tattoo? It's a lifetime commitment. I think it's harder to cover up. And if you think about the pain, remember in SOP training, they said pain bonds people they together. Did. They did say that. Yeah. I can't even imagine that pain. No, I can't either. I mean, I was even a baby when it came to my tattoos, so I can't even imagine going through that. I'm a baby, and I don't have any tattoos, (laughs) so that's why I don't have one. (laughs) So the second person that we're going to talk about, her name is Sarah Edmondson, and she has an amazing book that came out probably like a year or two ago, and that's what I read, one of the things I read in order to get up to speed with everything on this group. Um, she was, so her book is called Scarred. Oh, yep. The true story of Nexium and how I escaped the cult that bound my life. And it's an amazing book. I suggest everyone read it. Um, it was a really quick read for me. Like I just couldn't put it down. So it's not boring at all. It was really interesting to f- see like how she got indoctrinated mm-hmm. and her story behind it. So she was the leader of the branch in Vancouver, Canada. And her husband was also high up in Nexium, and they had a kid together. She started out coaching, and even though she is a leader of, you know, this group in Canada, she still isn't climbing the sash system like she wanted to. Mm-hmm. 
She had a friend. Her name was Lauren Saltzman, and Lauren was one of the higher-ups in Nexium. And Lauren told her about this group that, again, could help her meet her goals and push her. But in order to talk to her about it... You have to give collateral. You have to give collateral. So Sarah goes and makes videos telling lies about her husband, lies about her family, and um, other things that could destroy her life, and gives them to Lauren. Lauren says it's sufficient. And Lauren tells her again, just like Allison in India, it's a master-slave relationship, but it's not like real master-slave relationship. Not like really that. It's just kind of that. So it is that. Lauren became her master, and they would do readiness drills all the time, which again we said is already a thing in Nexium. But if the master texted everyone in the group, they would have to respond and say they were ready. If everyone didn't respond, it was a group punishment. People would do this at 2 a.m. They would be expected to respond if you were intimate with your husband. You would have to stop in the middle of it and text back, which I wouldn't even want to know what that fight would sound like. Um, <laughs> oh, you, my God. Yeah. And, like, no. if you were in periods of time where you'd have to turn off your phone, you would have to text everyone, like, going dark. So if I'm in an elevator, mm-hmm. I know I won't have service. Going dark, out of dark. You're literally giving an account of your life to every to your master and all these people. So if you were in going dark mode, then you couldn't like, or you, I guess you wouldn't have to respond. But you ready. can't say like, I'm going dark because I'm going to sleep. Like it has to be a specific reason. Well, you foiled my plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> they already thought of that. <laughs> Again, she did one hour of work a week for her master. You would have to ask the master for permission on everything. And the master again is going to tell you all of their advice on life issues. She was branded, and I showed you the picture of her brand. It is not small. Yeah. Um, If you guys want to see this brand, what did you type into Google again? Just type in Sarah Edmondson brand. Yeah, and it's super messed up. Like, it's supposed to be, what, earth, wind, fire? Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, the four elements. And it doesn't look like that. It just looks like a bunch of lines. It's not cute at all. No. And the thing is, like, we talked about this the first recording, but if you were to get that brand, then I don't think you would necessarily want to look at it again because it's a painful reminder of something that you didn't want. And even after it was healed, it was still, like, bright red. Right. So I feel like that's how they didn't know that, yeah, it wasn't that. So, yeah, she was branded, and again, she said it was against her will. Um, When she was in this group with these people, um, they had the branding ceremony. She went up to Lauren and was like, look, like, I really don't want to do this. Like, I'm an actress. Like, my, I don't have tattoos because of that reason. It's right. easier for me to get parts if I don't have it. And it's just something I've always been prideful about. And she's like, well, this is your lifetime commitment. Like, you need to prove it to yourself. So she did it. She got talked into it. Mm-hmm. She ended up doing it, um, but she regretted it. After that branding ceremony, things are just not really sitting well with her. Um, she was tried to push to recruit slaves. And this makes sense because the reason she even got to the Vancouver Center is because she's really good at recruiting. She's really good at making people feel like, you know, this is something that they need in their life. And it wasn't out of malintent. Like, she really thought that she was helping people by giving them these services. Yeah. You know. She's a smooth talker. Yeah, and she's great at it. She's, like, a great person. People want to be around her. She starts to realize that they're, like, pushing her to recruit, like, pretty younger women. Like, there's no chubby girls being invited into DOS. 
That's weird. So we would not be invited yeah, in the dark. They'd be like, eh, no, sorry, maybe next week. How does that run sound now? <laughs> she just thought it was kind of weird um, that they were trying to get her to recruit slaves. It's not something that she really wanted to do. Um, so she actually ended up having three slaves. These slaves, she just gave them like a little bit of work, but it wasn't like anything really intense. Like she was never hard on them. She never did the readiness drills, so they got off, like, pretty easy. And Lauren was always like, you need to be harder on them. But it just, she didn't like it. It wasn't her thing. Yeah. Everybody has different managership style. Yeah. You know. And uh, Sarah was actually part owner of the Nexium Center with one of her business partners. And her business partner, his wife, ended up leaving Nexium. His wife told him, a bunch of disturbing things about DOS, things that like a lot of the men didn't know. He ended up talking to Sarah, kind of, you know, bringing this up. Like, did you know that there's this like secret group? And Lauren's like, or no, I'm sorry. And Sarah's like, no, like that's crazy. It's insane. He was like, it's been said too that like Keith is like having sex with women that are in this group. And Sarah at this time is like, well, that's crazy because like I'm not having sex with him. So like that's probably just a lie. He's a celibate. Nobody can be having sex with yeah, him. Yeah, nobody's having sex with him. And then he said something that really hit home with her. They're branding these women with their initials, with Allison Mack and Keith Rainier's initials. And she looked at the brand, and I showed it to you. You can see K-R-A-M in the initials. Yeah, you can totally see it. It's there. Yeah. And once that happened and she heard about that, it kind of clicked for her. She was like, they have defiled my body. And I need to get out of this. This isn't healthy. It's not a good group. She finally saw the red flag. So she decides that she needs to tell her husband everything. She doesn't really want to tell him, though. So she has her friend that owns the center with her call her husband, Nippy. And like he and they tell him everything. And he's furious. Not not Sarah, because, again, he understands Nexium just as much as the next person does. He decides with Sarah that they need to get out. But they need to do it smart. Like, they own the center. All of their savings is tied to this. Like, this was their livelihood for, like, years. I wonder if he ever accused her of having sex with Keith. I don't think he did. I mean, they lived in Vancouver. So if you think about it, That's all true. these people are living in New York doing that thing. And they're, like, out in Canada just yeah. thriving and being, like, you know. Canadian. Yeah. Being super nice to everyone, being yeah. polite all the time. I would love to live in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Her and Nippy devise a plan, and Sarah goes and stays with the family with their kid, and Nippy goes to one of the SOP gatherings, and when he sees Lauren Saltzman out there, he confronts her, and he's like, how dare you brand my wife? How dare you put my wife in this group? She is not, like, one of your slaves and just goes crazy. And, like, you're not allowed to be emotional in Nexium. No, so that's why you have those EMs. Yeah, to, like, cancel everything out. So this is, like, seen as, like, oh, my gosh, we don't even know how to respond to this. Just, like, get him out of here. And this gives Sarah an out, too, because when Lauren calls her later that night, Sarah can be like, I'm so sorry. I have to support my husband. You understand. Yeah. Like, we're just going to leave. Let him chill out, you know, but we won't say anything. Like, we'll sign, you know, like, whatever you want to sign. Like, we're just going to walk out peacefully so as soon as they're in the out they start canceling everyone's credit card that is taking classes over at the vancouver center yes girl sarah calls her slaves and because they're on their way to their branding ceremony they have no idea and she calls them and gets them all off the plane and she starts calling people in nexium and giving them the rundown and everything that's going on yes 
queen. So she also is trying to be careful because, again, Keith has gone after people before. He has so much money with the Bronfman sisters and everyone backing him. So she's still being careful, but uh, eventually she ends up being a whistleblower by going to the New York Times and you'll see it. It was right on the front page, but there's a picture of her like showing her mark with her like pants like folded over. And it was an expose about DOS and everything that was going on at Nexium. Good for her for being that brave and speaking up. Oh, I know. Yeah. This whole expose encouraged the Justice Department to start investigating the group. And they found out some really weird and disturbing things. For example, um, Keith was like buying human sized cages for people to stay in for punishment and using a ton of Nexium funds to buy like dungeon and BDSM type stuff, which if that's what you want to do in your free time, that's fine. But for this whole master slave relationship, that's something that's not okay. No, and it's clear what he was trying to take this cult to. Oh, it's very clear. It's just weird stuff like some of Nexium's inner circle, which again was all women, they were taught that in past lives they were like high ranking Nazis, which is a weird thing to even compare yourself to. I feel like he unofficially said that he was Hitler more than one time. Yeah, it just, it's insane. So now let's get into the good stuff. On March 26th of 2018, Keith was arrested and charged with sex trafficking sex trafficking conspiracy, and forced labor conspiracy, and he was found after fleeing to Mexico. He was found in a hotel in Puerto Vallarta in Mexico with his inner circle of women, and they were about to complete a recommitment ceremony to prove their loyalty to him. And I will ask, what was part of this recommitment ceremony? Group sex. That's disgusting. Well, the more disgusting part is if you know about his inner circle, Lauren Saltzman is one of them, right? Right. So is Nancy, his number two. That's Lauren's mom. <gasps> That's fucking nasty. Yeah. Let's keep going. Um, Ew, no. <laughs> uh. On April 20th of 2018, Allison Mack, the Smallville actress that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. was arrested and charged with sex trafficking and forced labor. She was accused by women that she forced them to engage in sexual activity with Keith. Mm -hmm. And we know all about these assignments. She actually received financial benefits in exchange for the cooperation, which sex trafficking is literally that. That's literally nail on the head. She kept trying to recruit people that were in the like star Hollywood atmosphere. And two of the ones that I thought were very interesting, which obviously didn't reach out to her, but Emma Watson was one of the people she tried to recruit, and Kelly Clarkson. I just can't even imagine, like, sliding to their DMs, being like, hey, girl, I have a secret. Right. Just super weird. Um, She also said that it was her idea to have the branding ritual. Like, it wasn't Keith at all. And it's funny because India, the girl that we talked about earlier, actually, after Allison was arrested, found these flash drives in Allison's apartment that had recordings of Keith because he loved to record everything Mm -hmm. of him talking about the brand and how it was his idea. Get him. So way to go, India. Thanks for giving that to authorities. Snaps for India. On July 24th of 2018, Claire Bronfman, Nancy Saltzman, Lauren Saltzman, and Kathy Russell were all arrested on racketeering conspiracy for their involvement with Nexium. The indictment accused the women of a number of crimes, but this included identity theft, harboring of aliens for financial gain, extortion, forced labor, sex trafficking, money laundering, wire fraud, and obstruction of justice. That all sounds right. 
And throughout the trial, many of the slaves testified. And they testified against Keith, obviously. And he kept saying, like, all these relationships were consensual. Like, they wanted it. Fuck off. To the moon. Yeah. Um, Keith was sentenced to 120 years in prison. Thank God. He was found guilty on all counts of sex trafficking and forced labor charges. It only took the jury five hours to deliberate. That's pretty quick. That's extremely quick. (laughs) Nancy Saltzman received three and a half years. Uh, She pleaded guilty to racketeering and to hacking emails of people that were Nexium critics, monitored women, and she also obtained usernames and passwords of people that she thought were leaking Nexium secrets. What about incest with her own fucking child? (laughs) Yeah. So Lauren Saltzman, her daughter, also pleaded guilty to racketeering and racketeering conspiracy. And she also admitted that she kept a personal slave locked in her home for two years. This was because it was under Keith's instructions because she was gaining weight and she had feelings for someone else besides Keith. She received five years probation and 300 hours of community service. That's complete bullshit. Complete bullshit. Allison Mack entered a plea agreement on April 8th, and she admitted to the racketeering charges. She, quote, said... I know I can and will be a better person. She received three years in prison for manipulating women into becoming sex slaves for Keith and a fine of $20,000. That's also bullshit. I agree. They need need to get what he's getting. Yeah, long-ass sentences. Yeah. They abuse their relationship with women as counselors. Mm Mm-hmm. And use that. Literally force them into sex trafficking. For some guy. Yeah. 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 On March 14th of 2019, more evidence came out that Keith had child pornography and he has had sex with underage women. I am not surprised by that in the slightest. Claire Bronfman ended up pleading guilty and she admitted to harboring a woman who came to the U.S. with a fake visa and used the labor for herself and the organization. She also admitted to helping Keith use a dead woman's credit card. She received seven years in prison. As part of her plea agreement, she also will forfeit $6 million, pay a $500,000 fine, and give $96,000 to a victim, is what the judge ruled. I think that $6 million should have gone to the victim. I agree. I agree. So, another lawsuit that's still ongoing was filed against Nexium leadership in January of 2020, and it stated that the company and its, and its executives conspired to abuse manipulate and extort members of the organization and it was a ponzi scheme so that one's still ongoing so we can't really say what's going on but yeah that's nexium times two times two that's such an interesting story and i'm still blown away that i have never heard of this cult yeah so you should watch the vow it's on hbo and i'll give you my password if you don't have it but girl i got that hbo the vow is amazing totally watch it it's a really good one it focuses on sarah edmondson and the other one is seduced and that's the one that focuses on india oxenberg and that one's also really amazing is uh are they docu series or yeah okay isn't the vow a movie like with ryan reynolds or something like that that sounds familiar yeah I'm going to watch that. Yeah, they're both really good. Will you text those to me so I don't forget the names? Oh, for sure. Okay. That was a really good story. Yeah, it's an interesting cult. It's really interesting, especially from the women's perspective. Yeah. How you can be in something you think is so empowering, but it's not. Oh, a question I forgot to ask is, um, I think it was Sarah had a son 
So I know in other cults, the children got brought into the cult. Was this kind of like they the didn't really were in the cult yet? Not really. They didn't get brought in until they were like older. Because it's like more self-help, quote yeah. unquote, versus Yeah, like cult. there's not really children's programs or anything yet. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I meant to ask that, but. Yeah, no, that's a good question. But good job. I yeah. loved it. So, yeah, that was Nexium. And the only other thing I want to say about it is it really makes you wonder, like, self-help, if there's any other, like, self-help organizations that are about to turn cult. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because it's not regulated at all. So that's just something I've been thinking about, too. I feel like we need to regulate that. (laughs) Yeah, like, at least just read the books before they get approved, okay? Yeah, seriously. Like, any other story has to get approved. Right. All right, Jen, do you want to tell us the cocktail for this episode? Yep. Uh, since this one took place in New York, we did a New York sour. And I used Brothers Bond whiskey because I am obsessed with Vampire Diaries. So that means I'm going to buy their whiskey. You are basic. I am so basic. But it's really good. It tastes like Angel's Envy, if anyone out there is like a whiskey person. But, um, yeah, so you use two ounces of whiskey. It can be rye or bourbon and an ounce of lemon juice, which is roughly like two lemons freshly squeezed, three-fourths ounce of simple syrup. You can use an egg white if you want in there and mix it in because some people say that like makes drinks taste frothy. It freaks me out, so I didn't do it. I was like, if you put an egg white in my (laughs) drink and didn't tell me, we're going to have problems. (laughs) And a half an ounce of red wine. So pretty much all you do is you add the whiskey, lemon juice, and simple syrup. And if you want to do the egg white, you can put it in there. And do a shaker with ice, and you shake really hard until it's well chilled. It was actually, it's pretty yummy. Yeah, and then you just strain it into a rocks glass. And then for the red, because you'll be able to see on our Instagram, it's kind of pretty. But you pour the red wine over the back of like a bar spoon, so then the wine just floats to the top of it. Fancy. Yeah, or you can just do what I do and just slowly pour the wine in, and it works out fine too. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, so it tastes, you know, just kind of like a whiskey sour, but the red wine brings in a cool little factor and it makes you kind of look bougie. So, yeah. We are bougie. Yeah, so if you go to a bar and order a whiskey sour, that's what it is. Or, sorry, New York sour sounds way better than whiskey sour. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's actually really good. And I'm not a whiskey person. So if you can make me like whiskey, then you did something right. Yeah, so it was good. Are you ready to rumble? Let's go. (laughs) Okay. On December 8, 1995, Henry Hugon was checked in to the Massachusetts VA hospital. The 35-year-old wasn't deadly sick or anything, but he did have the flu and it was kicking his butt. And, like, I've never gone to the hospital before for anything, but I feel like you know when you need to go to the hospital. Oh, I've gone to the hospital for the flu before. Have you? Oh, yeah. So wow. I could not quit puking, and it was, like, day three. Oh, my so God. So I made them give me a shot to, like, stop. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yikes. Well, so you know when it's time to go to the hospital. Oh, yeah. So he gets admitted, and he gets put on fluid, given comfort care, you know, whatever you just said you got. And his mom, who is his power of attorney, gets a phone call shortly later from the hospital. He had told her that he was checking in, so it wasn't too concerning when she received a call from the doctor later that day. The doctor says, we lost your son. And still, although concerning... This was zero surprise for his mom. Henry was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic from a head injury that he had gotten in the Air Force. So it wasn't unusual for him to go running off. So she actually responds, oh my God, where did he run off to now? 
To which the doctor responds, no, ma'am, we lost him. He's gone. He's dead. So Henry actually went into cardiac arrest three times in a six-hour period. That's insane. Which is not normal. No, not at all. The odd thing was, Henry was healthy as a horse when he was admitted. No prior conditions, nothing else. And I'm no doctor, but I do know that the flu does not cause you to have a heart attack. Not once, not twice, but three times. Yeah. And Henry wasn't the first patient to die unexpectedly at this VA. A couple of months earlier, on August 21st, 1995, Stanley Jagdowski, a 66-year-old veteran of the Korean War, was admitted to the hospital. Now, I'm not quite sure what he was admitted for, which could have been the flu. There was an epidemic in the area at the time. But the doctor said that he should be fine in a couple of days and he'll go home. Stanley, unfortunately, never got to go home. He had died of cardiac arrest later that day. Again, oddly enough, Stanley had a healthy heart. Why would this just come out of nowhere? These two cases, as well as a couple of others, had one common denominator. Their charge nurse named Kristen Gilbert. Have you heard of Kristen Gilbert? No, but I don't think I like her. I don't like her either. She's not nice. Kristen Gilbert was born on November 13, 1967, as Kristen Strickland in Fall River, Massachusetts. Her life growing up was the pretty typical small-town, middle-class family. She was the popular girl in high school. She was pretty, and she was actually really smart. So, as you might guess, she loved being the center of attention, since everybody always did pay attention to her. She was popular. But she took hers to the next level. She became addicted to getting attention, and she despised when she wasn't the center of attention. To get everybody to look back at her, she became a chronic manipulative liar. She wanted things to go her way and get attention and would do whatever she could to get it. Just a couple of examples what she would do. She would tell boyfriends that she was going to kill herself if they didn't pay more attention to her. Yep, we've all known these type of people. Oh yeah, for sure. I had one in high school. I had a boyfriend that would tell me that. And it's yeah, I think we've all had yeah. one of those in our past. It's it's stupid, but she also could claim that her mother was an abusive alcoholic when she rarely drank, and just things like that. But nonetheless, she actually graduated high school a year and a half early with high honors. You go, girl. Yeah, good for you. Besides your psychoness, at least you got book smart. Yeah, right. She decided, being the loving, caring person she is, she wanted to go to college for nursing. In 1987, during her college years, she got a job to help pay the bills, as most of us do. She worked as a home health aide at a local agency. She then ended up being fired shortly later because she used scolding hot bath water to punish a mentally retarded child, which caused burns to over 60% of his body. Yeah, I can't even. And that's pretty disgusting. But what makes my blood boil even more is that she was not prosecuted for this. How? I have no idea. I don't know what the parents, like, I I have no idea. But somehow this monster graduated from Greenfield Community College with her RN in 1988 in Greenfield, Massachusetts, and got her first job at Leeds, Massachusetts Veterans Affair Medical Center on March 6th, 1989. So the VA, basically. 
Also, somehow, she tricked a man into falling in love with her. This man would eventually become her husband, Glenn Gilbert, hence her last name. They ended up having two boys together. They had a nice house, good jobs. Seems like a normal family, right? I don't know if I want to know more about this person. I know. You made me listen to Nexium. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a pretty bright red flag that Glenn ignored. One day they got into an argument and she chased him around the house with an eight inch butcher knife. Yep, that'd be like when I'm like, no, give me the ring back. Yep, 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 yep. He ended up having to lock himself in the bedroom for a few hours until she calmed down, which personally I would have been packing my suitcases. Yeah, I, you would already be below the window and I'd be like, we're going to like, <laughs> you know, use the bed sheets to get out of here. Where's the ladder? <laughs> but nonetheless, Glenn wanted to keep the family together and Kristen's like, oh yeah, baby, I'm sorry. I'll try to, to be a great wife. I'm sorry that I chased you around with a butcher knife. So she becomes a great wife by having a full-blown affair with James Rawl, a.k.a. the security guard at the hospital. So I say that with as much sarcasm as possible. Yeah. Glenn found out about the affair and filed for divorce. You go, Glenn. You go, Glenn Coco. (laughs) She really didn't seem to care, though. I mean, she was loved by all of her coworkers, her boss. She had great proficiency reports, and now she literally had her lover at work. One thing that her coworkers really liked about her is that she was a hard worker. Anytime there would be a, th- a code at the hospital, that girl was on it, front and center. And although her coworkers loved her, they teased her, and they gave her a unique nickname, to say the least. The nickname was the Angel of Death. Yeah, I would never want that nickname. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't think it's funny if someone was like, if I was starting at a job that day, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's the Angel of Death. I'm like, I am not talking to her, and I'm not friends with her, and I will not eat lunch with her. I'd be like, this is my two weeks notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. What other nicknames do you have for people here? Right. <laughs> <laughs> But um, she was nicknamed the Angel of Death because, coincidentally, when she was there, there were so many codes and so many patients were dying. Which, I mean, my thought process is, for fuck's sake, how blind can you guys be? Yeah, especially if you have a nickname. Like, come on. Yeah. Ironically enough, since James was the security guard, he had to be present at every single code called. She got to save the day in front of him. She got to show that she was the hero. Yeah, I see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Now, this nickname started in 1990, but the actual deaths increased in 1995 when her and James started dating. Like, the mortality rate spiked big time. That's horrible. On February 2nd, 1996, almost two months later after Henry had died of a heart attack, a 41-year-old veteran named Kenneth Cutting was admitted to the VA being treated for sepsis. Which, if you're in healthcare or are familiar with sepsis at all, it's pretty deadly. Yeah, and it's horrible. And isn't it contagious? I don't think it's contagious. Oh, and I don't know that much about sepsis. It's okay. Dr. Dr. Jen in the house <laughs> tonight. <laughs> it's an infection, right? Yeah, it's an okay. infection. It's, yeah. it's basically like when your body attacks itself. Gotcha. Like your body gets all confused. So, Kristen was the charge nurse that night and had a date with her security lover. So they're admitting him and everything, like Kenneth, and Kristen turns to her boss and says, if this guy dies before 8 p.m., can I go home? I have a date. 
Which you know how like red flag. You know how like when we were servers, we'd be like, if this table gets up like in the next like twenty minutes, like can I go? Yeah, but it's a table. It's a table. It's not a person. <laughs> so, lo and behold, Kenneth dies by eight p.m. that night, but not from sepsis, from a heart attack. So we've put the pieces together that Kristen is somehow causing this. So let's talk about a drug that would cause cardiac arrest. I was about to say, are they doing toxicology on these bodies? <laughs> like, come on. Get it together. Um, so a drug that increases the heart rate is called epinephrine. And if you don't know what epinephrine is, it's the same thing as adrenaline. It's used in medical emergencies, like when you're having a severe allergic reaction or otherwise known as anaphylactic shock. When you are in anaphylactic shock, your heart slows down, your blood pressure lowers, and you can even stop breathing. So basically what epinephrine does is it reverses these effects and causes your body to go into fight or flight. So it causes your blood vessels to constrict, which raises, which raises your blood pressure. It also increases your heart rate dramatically to improve heart flow. Yeah, isn't that what they use like in Pulp Fiction when like Mia's dying and John Travolta like puts the needle into her heart like a shot of adrenaline? Yeah, yep, yep. that's it, yeah. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. But enough of it will kill you. So, on February 18th, 1996, literally two weeks after Kenneth's death, a World War II veteran named Edward Squires is admitted to the VA. He was an alcoholic which, I mean, war veteran, PTSD, you know. And he was having a really bad alcohol withdrawal, causing him to have seizures. Typically, when this situation happens, you give the patient a couple of Valiums to calm them down, wait it out, they're fine, it should be a quick and easy visit. Yeah. But shocking, not shocking, Edward had a heart attack. Edward died of this heart attack. You don't go into cardiac arrest because of a seizure. Maybe you need some respiratory support, but you're not going to have a heart attack. So although her co-workers are a little naive, to say the least, with the whole nickname and all, they're starting to get, you know, a little apprehensive about her. So three co-workers, John Wall, Kathy Ricks, and Renee Walsh, start their own investigative journey and try to look for, you know, just anything that's out of the ordinary with her. Lo and behold, the night that Edward died... They found three broken ampules of epinephrine in the hazards box. Now, they are on a floor. This isn't the whole hospital. These three knew all of the patients on that floor. Right. So they know if they would use them or not. And it's in the charts. Exactly. And they know that nobody needs epinephrine, let alone that strength of epinephrine. So they're finally putting the pieces together. And this is just a little side note I wanted to squeeze in. But Kristen would openly flirt with James on patients that... Um, she was giving CPR to like she would jump on patients and like hike her dress up that's not cute and show her garter and everything like that yeah and then like when he would be giving CPR to a patient she'd be like baby your muscles look really hot right now I'd be like girl get the fuck off of me yeah I'm I'm working I'm trying trying to to save save a life life. yeah so (sighs) that's just a little thing that I wanted to throw in there but on February 29th, 1996, the nurses team up and call, like, the main VA or whatever it is, and they send out an investigator to the hospital. And the investigator starts cross-referencing the deaths with her shifts, and obviously there was a spike any time that she was a nurse. 
So she knows she's being investigated, and apparently she goes in like to one of her episodes and tells James that she's going to kill herself. Right. And he's like, why? Why are you going to kill yourself? Like, you're saying you didn't do anything. On September 26th, 1996, the VA gets a phone call from somebody with a deep voice. This mysterious figure on the phone informs the receptionist that there is a bomb in the building, and it's going to go off in 25 minutes. So, obviously, they take bomb threats very seriously. The whole hospital was evacuated, including patients in hospice, who are literally holding on to life by a string. So even transporting them could kill them. Yeah. Everyone is waiting in the parking lot for hours while the bomb squad searches the building, and there is no bomb. So, all right, step one, find out who made the bomb threat. They trace it back to a payphone that was used to make the call. Remember, we're in 1995 or 1996, I'm sorry. Funny enough, Christy is not as sneaky as she thinks she is. At the time she was making the bomb threat on the phone, another officer saw her make the bomb threat. So she made it, and the officer saw her make it on the phone. Did he know that she was making a bomb threat, or was he just, like, walking by and saw a girl on a phone? Well, he was, like, in his car, like, waiting in his car, and he saw Kristen at the phone at the time that she gotcha. was making the call. And so, like, I mean, he's part of the case, so he was like, wait a minute, Kristen was at that phone booth. Yeah. You know? So investigators get a search warrant for Kristen's house. They arrive, and they knock on the door. At first, Kristen's like, well, this is my house, so you can't come in here. And Yeah, we can. <laughs> they're like, ma'am, we literally have a search warrant. Please step aside. And she's like, well, whatever. You're barking up the wrong tree, but go ahead and waste your time. And in this search, they found two important things. One, a cock boy. A what? A cock boy. Do you know what that is? No, I'm not cool. So a cock boy is a tool that is used to change your voice. Oh, that's what they call it? A cock Not boy. voice changer or, like, anything like that? A cock boy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know if that's still a thing. And if it is still a thing, I hope they've changed the name yeah. by now. But if not, please change your name. <laughs> please. This is a plea. Um, so that's how she got her voice to be low on the threat. And two, <laughs> they found instructions on how to work a cock boy in her jacket pocket. I bet the jacket she was wearing that day, too. And it was. So she pretty dumb. Basically, she wanted to keep the investigators off of the murder investigation and wanted them to focus their time to something that still is pretty important, which is a bomb threat. So also, I should mention in the search that they found a drug book, like just like an encyclopedia, I guess. And when they opened it up, she had a corner turned down to a page that was all about epinephrine. I, I can't with people. <laughs> like, you can't just remember where epinephrine, just memorize the page. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get it. I feel like as much as she used it, like, you should have that memory. Yeah, you're like, right page now. 253. I know <laughs> it's page 253. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, she ended up being charged for the bomb threat and got sentenced on November 2nd, 1996 to Danbury Federal Prison. While serving her time, she was also diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. I'm not surprised. But although she's in prison, she's going to be out in a little over a year. Maybe sooner if she's on good behavior. Investigators knew that they had to crack down and connect her to the murders of the cardiac arrest patients. 
Now, epinephrine is not easily detectable in the system. Unless you're actually looking for it, the coroner is going to rule the death as cardiac arrest and move on. Yeah, that makes sense. They need to get a thousand percent proof that epinephrine was in the, the system of these victims. And the only way to get proof... Dig them up. Dig them up. They exhume the bodies of a couple of her victims to see if they could pull some tissue to detect the presence of anything. And bingo, there was a super high amount of epinephrine or a lethal amount in these tissues. And that's crazy even still. I know. When I like watched that on the documentary I watched, I was like, really? Like you can still extract that? Right. But we're no scientists. So So this is all they needed. They had over 70 witness testimonies, which I'm guessing like everybody from the hospital. James actually ended up testifying against her. Good. Yeah. Uh, Empty ampules, the book, and now the bodies, which added up to over 100 pieces of evidence. They charged Kristen Gilbert with three counts of first degree murder and one count of second degree murder. Which kind of pisses me off, because I'm like... Yeah, who got the second degree, I wonder? I don't know. I tried to find it, but I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Trial began on November 20th, 2000, when she was 33 years old. And, of course, the media ate this up. They said it was a love story, and she was doing it for love. Which, no, she was an attention-seeking whore. Yeah, even if it's for love, it's not good. It's bad love. Yeah. But, you know, the media, so... So psychologists believe that although she did kill these four people that we know of, they don't actually think that she meant to kill them. Again, she wanted attention. She wanted to be the hero, but took it too far with some of them. Well, yeah, and it sounds like she doesn't know the doses quite well enough. So <laughs> Clearly, if you have to mark the freaking page. Yeah. So all in all, they think that she could be responsible for 80 deaths and over 300 m- medical emergencies. That's insane. So, yeah, all those codes. Again, this nickname, the Angel of Death, started back in 1990. This was going on for a while, but they only had extreme proof for these four victims that I've mentioned in the episode. Massachusetts is a no-death penalty state, but since the murders occurred at the VA, that's federal property. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I love when that happens. That's interesting. They went after the death penalty. This was the first eligible case like with those stipulations since the 1950s. Did they get it? Hold on. (laughs) You impatient. A fun little thing that a reporter said that if she gets put to death, then she will get a taste of her own medicine. I feel like that's getting off too easy, though. Like when people talk about the death penalty, I'm like, I want them to be able to think about what they've done and have life in prison. Yeah, I want them to suffer every single day like everybody else does. But then again, you could say, is that fair? Because the person that died. Right. I'm sure they would rather have life in prison, too. I don't know. I'm conflicted. But so, you know, I love a good shitty defense. Her defense lawyer was like, guys, this is just a big misunderstanding. They all had bad hearts. <laughs> Which Where's your where's your medical degree, baby? Yeah. <laughs> and look at the statistics. Like, yeah. She's in the hospital. People end up getting hurt. Yeah. So to answer your question, she ended up being found guilty on March 14th, 2001. But the jury decided not to sentence her to death. Rather, four life sentences plus 20 years. Which I don't get the 20 years thing. I just feel like they want to be like, and that too, you know, like, (laughs) okay, yeah, jury, good job, jury, you know, but at least they made the right call here. Yeah. But I think that they didn't go after uh, death because she had two young children at the time. Yeah. Um, She didn't want to talk to the judge at the reading, but she just sat quietly while the jury was reading her sentence and she was like softly crying. 
but she is currently serving her life's or she is currently serving her sentences in Fort Worth, Texas at Carswell Federal Medical Facility. To this day, she has maintained her innocence. At first, she was filing several appeals to get out, but she has since stopped because the U.S. Supreme Court uh, has recently ruled, like a rule, or I guess a bill or law or whatever, that basically says if you get another trial, the prosecutors can once, ago, once again go after the death penalty. Oh, yeah, then I, w- I would not. Yeah, so she needs to just stop. She has so much evidence pinned up against her that she's scared she's going to get sentenced to death. So, she yeah, she's just serving out her life sentence now. But what I find pretty messed up about this story is you go to the hospital when you're literally at your weakest. You trust these healthcare professionals to help you, not hurt you. And I also thought this was an interesting quote in the documentary I watched. Uh, somebody said, at least in war, you know your enemies are trying to kill you. Because these were all veterans. No, that's true. Like, it reminds me of Dr. Death. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. he was supposedly trying to help people, but all he did was create death. And he, it was horrible. And, like, that's not regulated. I mean, it is now. They're doing a better job of it. Yeah. You know, sure, but, but. I mean, this stuff still happens. You yeah. Know? So, but that is the story of Christine Gilbert. That's crazy. Yeah. Or Kristen Gilbert, I'm sorry. I like that one though, but I don't. I can't believe I've never heard of that. I know, all these serial killers I'm researching. I'm like, I feel like only some of them get glorified, right? And a lot of them are kind of like tucked in. Well, a lot of people don't really do women because women tend to like poison people, mm-hmm. and it's usually like an emotional reason. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Usually, it's like he cheated on me, so that's why I did it. Mm-hmm. Or money, they're g- gaining something monetarily, like. But with her, it was, oh, I it can't, was, it was just literally flirting. It was literally just attention seeking. She wanted all the attention and she wanted to look good in front of her man. You know, also gives you attention doing a good job at work. Yeah. Being a good person gives you attention. So. Wow. Yep. That's that. Wow. That was crazy. Well, yep. thank you for that. And thank you all for listening to another episode. And thank you for telling me about Nexium Part 2 twice. Yeah. I love it. It's great. Both times. <laughs> if you want to follow us, and please do, our Instagram handle is Colts, Killers, and Cocktails. Yep. You can also DM us if you have any questions, want to hear about a specific thing in the future, or just want to talk. We'll talk to you. We're nice. But that's it. Okay. Thank you. Bye.